This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. And there are two big stories in tech that we have not spent enough time on recently. One is the AI boom. And we're going to fix that problem in the very, very near future. Stay tuned. And the other one is the TikTok boom and the possible end of the TikTok boom. And we're going to work on that one today. TikTok, as you know, is the dominant entertainment app in the U.S. It's also owned by a Chinese company. And for the moment, those two facts don't seem to be compatible. We've been hearing about a possible TikTok ban since Donald Trump's last year in office. Those rumblings are getting loud again. I remain skeptical that we're going to see much movement on this in the end, uh, mostly because I don't see the political will to take away something that tens of millions of Americans really, really like. And, by the way, something that politicians, including Democrats, have learned to embrace. Last year on this show, for instance, we had Nell Thomas, the CTO of the Democratic National Committee, tell us that she was advising candidates to use TikTok because that's where the voters were. So let's dive into TikTok from two different angles. First up, we've got a quintessential TikTok success story. Someone who never made a TikTok until a year ago and without really trying really at all has become a full-fledged TikTok star in a way that has changed his life. And then we talk politics and practicalities of TikTok with Will Remus at the Washington Post, who's doing a really good job covering the nexus of policy and tech. And we also, by the way, talked to Will about a pretty astonishing AI story while we're at it, so it all gets knit together. Okay, now let's hear from me speaking with someone whose name I don't actually know. That's unique. Here we go. All right, this is a first for me. I've been podcasting for a really long time. I have never done a podcast with someone whose real name I don't know. So I don't know the best way to describe this person. Hi, guy who calls himself Chef Reactions on TikTok. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for joining me. I've been, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a long time. So just to get this out of the way... Chef, or just call him Chef, I guess, as a first name, is a, is a real-life uh, professional cook. Um, is that the right word? Professional Manager? chef. Professional chef, thank I you. Was, I was a cook, now I'm a chef. Who has 2.3 million followers on TikTok, has, has I guess, accidentally become a, a, a TikTok star, and for uh, reasons he'll explain, does not want to use his real name, um, even though, again, millions of people see his face every day. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to be here. This is a first for me too. First time ever doing a, a podcast interview. This is great. This is you are you are in some ways the classic story of of the person who wanders into a social network not expecting to do anything there other than screw around and maybe turns it into a whole career. Am I summarizing that correctly? I mean, in a nutshell, yeah. I first saw you, I think probably a couple years ago. You were doing reaction videos. Someone else was making terrible food generally, sometimes good food, but often terrible. And then you would show up and basically make fun of it. And you've got a great sardonic wit and low-key sort of monotone that I really appreciate. Other people do as well. Not that many people were following you at the beginning. How did you get into this? 
Uh, well, it, like you said, I kind of fell into it, backed up into it, uh, so to speak. I had a dishwasher that worked for me. She um, she made a TikTok video one day and she said, hey, chef, come look at this. My TikTok video has 1.5 million views. And it was perhaps the dumbest thing I had ever seen in my entire life. It, there was nothing to it. And I said, well, if that can get 1.5 million views, then I can do something that gets 1.5 million views. So I created a TikTok account that same day. Chef Reactions, the name was there. I had seen other people doing reaction videos. So I figured, you know, I'm a chef, might as well react to, to cooking videos. So that's how, that's how it started. Within a week, maybe two weeks, I had my first viral video that hit about 1.5 million views. So do you remember what, what the video was? It was something to do with popcorn. Like uh, initially I had been just seeing a lot of weird popcorn videos. Like what's wrong with just throwing a fucking Orville Redenbacher in the microwave and calling it a day? Or even Jiffy Pop on the stove, dude. Like That happened and then it things just kind of steamrolled from there. Within a month, I think I was about, at about 50,000 followers. Uh, within two months, I had hit a million. Three months after that, hit two million, approaching three million currently. So like we're going to talk about several times you ha you had a day job and you still have a day job it seems like it's a pretty difficult one yeah i mean it, it's not as glamorous as everybody makes it out to be everybody likes to watch the food network and think that being a chef is this you know romantic artistic expression and sometimes it's it's not sometimes we're just tradespeople that that happen to work as as chefs you, you don't want to tell me where you work can you describe the kind of place you're working at so people get a sense yeah, so I, I I'm an executive chef at a uh, at a private golf club, and uh, we would do a seven day a week food operation, and then also uh, catering to uh, banquets, weddings, tournaments, things like that. So you're making a lot of food for a lot of people, all, many days a week. Not glamorous, people, like you said, you're not going to stuck me in the Food Network, but it's kind of more representative of the food industry than than what you see on TV. Did you have some intent like when you started this like I want to tell people what real food is like or were you I was just messing around. Yeah. <laughs> like I had no intention whatsoever. So how long ago did you start? Was it 2 years ago? Just under a year actually. Okay. I'm coming, that, coming that up quick. on a year. Yeah. Amazing. And so it so within that year at what point did it occur to you that this might be something beyond screwing around that you might be able to actually you might be able to make money doing this? I mean, I, I had a couple guys reach out to me early on that wanted to do merch because people were asking, I, you know, for some of my quotes on some merch. So I figured, you know what, let's let's cash in while while we merch can. meaning uh, t-shirts, hats, t-shirts, hats, stuff like that. So the idea was to just make a quick buck off of it, thinking that nothing would ever come of it ever again. And I ended up selling about thirty k worth of merch. I didn't make 30K off it, but I sold 30K yeah. worth. And so that was kind of when it clicked in that, uh, that this could potentially be a business later on in life. Um, and then people just started reaching out. And then I started really thinking that it could lead to something beyond what I'm currently doing. So how much time are you spending making TikToks or, or in, in making TikToks and thinking about brands and, and, and the entire TikTok part of your life? I mean... My TikToks, you've seen my TikToks, they're, they're blind reactions every single time. It's the first time I've watched the video. Uh, I just talk about it, record, uh, record it, post it. Um, so that's, so it that's a minute, five minutes, minute, right? Two minutes, three minutes, uh -huh. depending on how long the video takes. Yeah. 
So maybe it's 10 to 15 minutes out of my day to actually record the content and then uh, keeping up with engagement periodically throughout the day. So not not a ton of time uh, currently. And and so and but you have moved from selling hats and T-shirts to doing actual ads, right? You're doing you did one yeah. with Hyundai, I think another one more recently. I had I had, my first brand deal uh, that I got was with Hyundai. And that came late, late 2022. And they reached, they reach out to you. They show up in your inbox, basically. Yeah, so. they they reached out to me. Um, I'm a Hyundai driver myself. I don't think they knew that at the time, um, but they had been working uh, with Amari Gishan, the uh, the chocolate wizard, as I like to refer to him as on on TikTok. And they had the idea because I already react to his videos, anyways. Why not do uh, like a cross cross promotion? Because they were paying him to make the. Uh, the chocolate car, then have me talk about the chocolate car. So that was the first one. Uh, since then, I've worked with Tubi and uh, Paramount Pictures as well. So you've done three ads. Give me a sense of how the money from those ads compares to what you make in your actual job. <laughs> uh, it's way better. It's, it's way better. It's way, way better. I don't, I don't like to talk about specifics because it's kind of it's kind of gauche to talk about that. But it, it's it's way, way, way better than what so I you- make. You've made more from those ads than you would a year of, of your day job that you actually yes. do day to yep. day. So the pretty obvious question is, can you stop working as an executive chef and become a full-time TikTok brand guy? I just put in my two weeks notice on Monday, actually. Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought you were going to keep grinding. No, I mean, at a certain point, the, the juice doesn't become worth the squeeze. Um, and if, if I can use the time that I spend working as a chef to kind of focus on growing the, I don't like to use the term brand, but that's what it is, growing the brand of, of Chef Reactions, then I'm, I might as well shit or get off the pot, so to speak. So how are you, how are you thinking about that? Do you think this is, this is my new career or this is a thing that I can do for some amount of time and, and then it's probably going to end and then I'll go back to doing what I did? I mean, it's, I have a skill set to fall back on in case it does all evaporate. Um, I, I look at it in the sense that it could all disappear. Um, so obviously strike while the iron's hot, but I think that it could lead to other things that could potentially give me some longevity, but you never know in this weird space of creators, right? One, one second you're hot, one second you're not. Every time I post a video, I, I think that's the last time anybody's going to laugh at something I say. So I, I, I approach that with everything that I do. Do you have a, a, a model? Do you have people that you're looking at going, oh, these people managed to, to, to go from accidental creator into full-time person? I mean, not, I'm, I'm not huge into the, the creator ecosystem, to be totally honest with you. Like, I, I just kind of stumbled upon it myself, and, and it's been kind of eye-opening in, in the last year or so. Um, but no, not really. I just kind of do my own thing, and what happens, happens. And if good things happen, great. <laughs> I think most people think if they think about creators, they're thinking about young people. They're often probably dismissively thinking about women dancing. You're a guy, you got some salt and pepper in your beard. Do you ever think about how unique it is to be sort of in your position and, and be successful on a platform like this? Every day. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's really mind blowing. Again, I'm a professional chef. I've been doing it for 20 years toiling in, in mediocrity and obscurity my entire life, uh, you know, working barely above the poverty line. And now all of a sudden I'm, you know, popular, like my, my, my personal accounts, 
I don't think I ever in my life had more than like 150, 200 followers on, on any of my personal accounts. So it's, it's weird. It's very weird and very surreal. That's the best. You wanted to be anonymous because you didn't want it to interfere with your day job. Now you're not going to have that day job. Do you think it's, and, and again, it's, it's a weird thing to be anonymous when millions of people are watching videos featuring your face front and center. Yeah. How is, how is that anonymity? First of all, worked so far? Do people recognize you? I've only been recognized ever in public once. And that was awesome. Uh, That's really wild to square like the the popularity of, of TikTok period, your popularity that no one's gone. I mean, you kind of look like a lot of people I know, truthfully. Yeah, like, I do. It could be a lot of guys in tech, frankly. <laughs> um, but um, it's weird that no one else has said, hey, I, where do I know you from? Yeah, no, literally nobody. Uh, it, it's it's. I've created a niche. Like the thing about TikTok, it's it's very niche, and and the internet content in general. I've learned that it's very niche. I've stumbled upon people who have like 15, 20 million YouTube followers. I've never fucking heard of them ever before in my life. So I mean, there's that positive aspect to it because I never wanted to be famous. I still don't necessarily want to be famous. What I want to do is carve out my niche, create my community, and make some money in the process uh, to change my life and, and my family's life. But the idea of fame never really attracted me whatsoever. So it's nice to have the some of the benefits of it without yeah. having some of the 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 shitty parts of it as well. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I still can't believe you're not famous, famous, but we'll, we'll see how I'm that not, goes. I'm, I'm not, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to you while people are talking about the future of TikTok, and I'm still skeptical that it's going to get banned or restricted in some way, but it, it's a possibility. How are you thinking about the fact that you're working at a platform that may not be accessible to you? It's Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think personally it's going to happen either. What I have been doing to try to uh, mitigate any negative happenings from that is diverting people to other uh, platforms that I'm on. So I'm I'm up to about 150,000 on Instagram, growing quite rapidly on on Twitter. Um, I think I'm like at 20,000 followers in the last two weeks on Twitter, pushing the YouTube channel as well. Uh, I did also just recently sign with William Morris Endeavor. Um, so I've got talent representation behind me and they want to take me kind of out of the the realm of social media what are they thinking about tv shows books yeah i i i, I don't know it's still kind of early it's um, their job to figure that out yeah 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 i i never thought of myself as a, as a tv person but i did end up doing a a youtube video where i went to disney world and just kind of did food reviews kind of on the fly and I enjoyed it. I, I never thought I would enjoy doing something like that. I always thought of myself, I'm, I'm back of house for a reason. Uh, I, I never thought that, you know, I'd be the face of anything. Um, but I, I did enjoy the, the process of, of recording and editing and it, it, it really kind of shone a light on, on something that I never thought that I would ever want to do. And, and beyond the sort of like, is TikTok going to be around? I, I, and I live a version of this with, with somewhat more stability than you have, but you're dependent on, in a lot of ways, on an algorithm that you can't really see into. Um, there's no real sense, I think, on your part of like levers you can pull to like make your stuff more popular. How do you how do you handle that insecurity? You're going to put your stuff out there and one day it could turn off either because the algorithm changes or TikTok goes away or just people become less interested. How do you think about that? I try not to. 
again, I've, I've spent my life working really hard and knowing that this is an avenue for me now, try not to think about the, if I start thinking about the negatives, I'll just, I'll just linger on them forever. So I try to kind of try to just push it to the side and, and not think about that kind of stuff. Repress it and push it down. That's, that's super it. healthy. That's like all, like all me the memories therapy. of my childhood. That's exactly, that's exactly what I do. You got any advice for any other people uh, who didn't think they were going to be uh, uh, famous and are now looking at you? Well, they're not looking at you, but well, I guess they are looking <laughs> at you and going, if that guy can do it, I can do it. I mean, yes, that's that's the advice that I have, that literally anybody can do this shit. N- not, I, people ask me, like, what's your secret and what's your, what's, what's your trick? And I tell them every time, like, I don't have one. None of this makes any sense to me. Um, I don't find myself particularly funny uh, or interesting. People say I have a good voice. I hate my voice. I come from an Eastern European background, so I've been, you know, uh, browbeaten my entire life into thinking that I'm less important than I actually am. So that's kind of really helping me deal with this stuff right now, uh, not letting my head get big whatsoever, um, staying grounded. And my advice would be to just, if you want to do it, just try it and see what happens. Like it costs nothing. To, to start it costs nothing what's the worst that i guess you could lo- you could have lost your job but now you quit anyway so you're yeah gonna- yeah 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 i mean i could have lost my job had my employer found out about what i do uh, because my views aren't necessarily in line with with that of my current soon-to-be previous employer so yeah that that is a definitely a pitfall for somebody like me who swears constantly and and says things that could be considered I don't know. I, I wouldn't say controversial, but like There's I some have, you edge up to some adult content. I do, I do, and I have opinions on the restaurant industry as a whole that aren't necessarily in line with with the uh, the norms in the restaurant industry. I think that's part of the appeal, right? Is that you're giving people sort of the unvarnished look. Um, it's kind of the way that Anthony Bourdain did when he first sort of broke. It's a different thing, but it's got that vibe. Like, I'm giving you the real deal. I'm giving you the uncensored look at how people in the back, people in the back think about what they're making for you. Yeah, I, I and, you know, there's people treat food with, with a certain amount of reverence that maybe isn't required all the time, if you get what I'm trying to say. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just fucking food. Like, at the end of the day, we're not... We're not sculpting Michelangelo and we're not, you know, reinventing the wheel. It's just we're cooking food. It's not that it's not that hard. That is uh, what I love about all your vi- well, I love many things about your videos, but you will constantly like make fun of the person who's making it and talk about how terrible it looks and then you go, I would eat it. I would. Every time I say that I would try something or I would eat something, I legitimately would. Like uh, people think, "Oh, you're a chef, you must eat gourmet meals all the time." Absolutely not. The last thing I want to do when I get home is cook. Period. Like they say, janitors have the messiest houses, auto mechanics have the shittiest cars. Chefs don't want to cook when they get home. I'll eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a bag of chips, and a can of Coke and be completely satisfied with that. That's my dinner this weekend. Chef, this was awesome. Peter, thank you. Good luck um, and congrats on your, your new gig. And I hope it lasts as long as you can make it last. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Chef or Chef Reactions is his full fake name is. Still still not sure about how to handle that. Uh, in a minute, we're going to have from Willa Remus from the Washington Post. But first, a word from a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance... 
Who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm here with Will Remus from The Washington Post. Welcome, Will. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm a longtime fan of your work. I want to talk to you about TikTok, and I also want to briefly mention some of the work you've been doing about AI, which is all-consuming these days. But but I intentionally did not cover the TikTok hearings now a couple of weeks ago because my take on this stuff is that you don't get a lot of value out of watching the stagecraft. I think there's still value in having you know tech executives or anybody else called in front of Congress, but I'm not sure we get a ton of insight into it. But I did, now that that, that sort of heat that fire is diminished a little bit. I want to I want to talk about where TikTok goes from here. So, and you've covered all this stuff. So, can you just briefly lay out sort of the the main arguments as to why Americans should be concerned about TikTok? I think they sort of fall into two buckets. Can you tease those out for us? Yeah, why Americans should be concerned about TikTok is <laughs> is a tough question. I mean, the the underlying issue here is basically just that TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, is based in China, and we don't trust the Chinese government. There are some reasons for that. Um, China has a national security law implemented in 2017 that requires companies to turn over personal data if it's relevant to national security to the government. So, you know, that in itself doesn't feel great to Americans. On the other hand, you could point out that the United States has at times sought and obtained personal data from tech companies. And so the question is, how big of an issue is this really? And is it big enough to ban the app entirely? Or is it more like something that we should be aware of as you, as we're using TikTok? Yeah, and just to tease this out, I mean, when you say it's uh, the, uh, TikTok's owner is based in China, you don't do business in China unless you are directly connected to the Chinese government. They just don't allow it. Um, if you're a foreign company, you have to sort of allow Chinese investment. It is fair to say that there are direct connections between the Chinese government and all of its companies. They just don't operate un- unfettered. Besides the the data the data issue, I think the other argument. Uh, people bring up, and I'm curious about your take on this, about TikTok is because it is deeply connected to the Chinese government, even if you're not concerned about data or if you're equally concerned about data from China as you are in the U.S., this is a country that is in many ways uh, in opposition to the U.S., and they could u- there's a concern they could use TikTok to either push out information or suppress information uh, either way, and it'd be nearly impossible for, for us to, to determine that. Does that strike you as a valid concern as well? It's hard to know how valid the concerns are. I mean, there's not documented evidence of the Chinese government interfering in TikTok in pretty much any way. There is documented evidence of TikTok doing some shady things, not particularly different than U.S. tech companies have done. There was an instance where TikTok employees were trying to figure out who was leaking stuff to the media, and they used the location data 
Uh, I think it was actually IP data because I don't think they collect GPS data anymore on, on American users, or at least they say they don't. It was IP data uh, trying to track the location of these journalists and TikTok employees to see, did we have any employees at the same place at the same time as these journalists? That's a really shady thing to do. It's a good reason not to trust a company. It's also straight from the playbook of companies like Facebook. Um, you you point out the ties. I just wanted to, to, to touch on something you pointed out, which is the the ties between... Chinese companies and the Chinese government. I mean, I you know, I'm not an, I'm not an, a China expert. I do work with some China experts and talk to them now and then. I mean, my understanding is that it, it's complicated, right? I mean, you know, you don't you can't ascend to the heights of of the Chinese business world without you know towing a line with the government. At the same time, I've talked to, to China tech analysts who say, you know, the tech companies are very wary of the government, and then they're not necessarily full, they're not necessarily in bed with the government. They're trying to appease the government to the extent they can, stay on its good side, while you know doing stuff that the government is naturally suspicious of, right? Like you know, any media company in China, any any company that's showing Chinese people entertainment, there's a tension between them and the government. And, and my understanding is that's the case between ByteDance and the CCP as well. Which again is, is you know it doesn't take away from your point, but I just think it's it's I think Americans might think that that like ByteDance and the Chinese government are one and the same, and that's that's not my quite my impression. Fair enough. I guess I get a little hung up when people say, well, you know, it's not much different than the USS uh, Facebook for information, right? There is a system, there's a courts and checks and balances. Also, Mark Zuckerberg is not is unlikely to get disappeared by the US government in the way that Jack Ma from Alibaba was for a, a it's 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 different, right? They're, exactly. They're not I the agree. Same. I agree. It's not the same. Yeah, let, let's stipulate that. Your, your question was about could they could they manipulate the algorithm, the famous TikTok for you page algorithm? To you know, make it show stuff that the Chinese government wants Americans to see, or, or disappear stuff that they exactly, don't want them to or see. yeah, more, maybe more likely make it hide stuff that they don't want people to see. I think that there is there's reason to be watchful of that, right? I mean, when there were the when the Hong Kong protests were going on, there was some reporting that suggested that maybe TikTok was taking down posts showing the protests or posts favorable mm-hmm. to the protests. It's not a leap to, to think that they might do that, even if the government wasn't saying, hey, you have to take this stuff down. Yeah. You know, They might just think to themselves, well, gee, it would be a really bad look for us if, if TikTok became a huge hub for the Hong Kong protesters to get their message out around the world. Right. And there's, and there's also stuff that is not TikTok, but, but certainly um, there are things that we've seen specifically around the Hong Kong protests, like the Chinese government forcing Apple to take down an app that was being used by the protesters and said, this is a police matter. And Apple said, we have to abide by your rules. And that was that. So you can sort of make some reasonable guesses about what might happen on TikTok. So I just want to lay sort of out the, the arguments, um, sort of the good faith versions of both of those arguments. And then can we walk through some of the proposed solutions? Because we're sort of looping this all under a TikTok ban, but not all the solutions are, are a flat out TikTok ban. I think the one that might have the most juice behind it is not a TikTok ban at all. It's something called the Restrict Act from Mark Warner and a Republican whose name I cannot remember at the moment, but you will. And then there are sort of outright let's ban TikTok. Um, walk us through the proposed solutions. Yeah. So let's, maybe we can go back to Donald Trump trying to ban TikTok back in 2020. And this was, you know, knowing, knowing how Trump operates, this was probably less uh, uh, him being concerned about Americans' data privacy and more a fit of of peak because TikTok was a place where 
K-pop fans were organizing disruptions of his protests. I mean, or or just a thing rallies. that floated into his head at one point, like buying sure. Greenland or bombing Mexico, right? Like just a thing he thought of for a minute and someone decided it was good. And also just being, you know, Donald Trump being against China is uh, announcing that he's he's anti-China uh, as opposed to actually doing anything about it is sort of a longstanding trope for him. Yes. So he so he jumps in and, and passes, does an ex- executive order that tries to ban TikTok talk and he tried to do it by saying that if i recall correctly that google and, and apple can't host tiktok on their app stores mm-hmm. this gets overruled repeatedly by judges who said that it didn't go through the right processes they didn't show that they had considered other options that this was overly harsh that it could have chilling effects on speech so that was sort of a non-starter it's it's wild if i mean it's 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 so surreal to remember this is a thing we were actually talking about but there was a moment where he's like not well they could sell it to us and then we would get a cut of the sale proceeds too just straight up gangsterism anyway it all it all went away uh even before trump left office he'd sort of lost interest in it it did, but but there was a, a part of it that lingered. So so he, it, another possibility at that time was that there could be a, a forced sale. And I, I think your listeners probably understand this, but again, so TikTok does not operate in China. You can't download the TikTok app in China. Its parent company, ByteDance, has a, a sister app for the Chinese market called Douyin. The idea was because TikTok is just for the international market that ByteDance could sell off TikTok maybe to an American tech company and then we wouldn't have to worry about it being Chinese owned. So one of the companies that was floated was Oracle, which was, you know, a company that Trump had some ties to. And what has come out of that is that TikTok hasn't sold to anybody uh, and it hasn't sold to Oracle, but it struck this deal with Oracle to put all of the data for American users on Oracle servers in Texas. It's called Project Texas. I don't know if they're all in Texas, actually, but Oracle's based in Texas. So uh, the idea is like the data will be stored in the U.S. So you don't have to worry about the Chinese government, you know, tampering with the data. So that's still a live issue. I mean, that's actually TikTok's main proposal now to get around some of the more draconian uh, actions that the U.S. government could take. Does anyone think that's a useful solution? Does anyone who's got a real, you know, good faith argument again about TikTok think that that putting servers in Texas and having Oracle run them is is the solution to any of the problems? Well, I will say I, I was at the the hearing a couple of weeks ago in Congress, and the members were certainly not impressed by it. Um, they were they were very skeptical. We're this is actually something we're trying to run down in our reporting. I mean, I think it's an op- it's an open question. You know what loopholes would still remain if they moved all the data to the U.S. and had it overseen by Oracle and opened it up for audits. I do think, yeah, I think there's a good faith argument to be made that if you move all the data to the U.S., you you uh, you know have more transparency actually about where you store your data than American tech companies do. You know, maybe on the margins we can we can trust it more than if all the data is being stored in China. I think that's a reasonable argument. Now, whether it's actually enough to persuade anybody who thinks that we need to ban TikTok, it doesn't doesn't seem like it is so far. But that doesn't mean it couldn't end up being the compromise solution. I mean, if we don't get, if we get a lot of grandstanding about a TikTok ban, but we don't get an actual TikTok ban, which seems like a plausible outcome, you could see Project Texas still end, you know, ending up being the thing, the thing that we get, uh, even though nobody's, nobody's that thrilled or excited about it. One of the solutions that Trump brought up, remember, uh, Microsoft, he was going to force a sale to an American company. Microsoft was going to buy it for a minute right. and Walmart right. was going to be involved. People bring up that idea as well. 
It strikes me that there's no way the Chinese government is going to sign off on that, and they've more or less said that. Is is there are there people still pushing for that solution? That just just sell it to us, and and it'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, I would I think the Biden administration would love that because it would it would get them out of this jam where they've said that you know, and and lots of other people. I mean, they they've said that having TikTok owned by a Chinese company is intolerable, and yet all the solutions are really thorny. You know, there's, there's first amendment issues. There's, there's issue, diplomacy issues with China. I mean, if they would just sell it to an American company, that would, that would resolve the cognitive dissonance without, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't think, as you said, China's, China has said that they will oppose that. They're not interested in it. And so, you know, it doesn't seem likely at this moment, but you never know. A, a lot is up in the air. You mentioned the Restrict Act. So this is the idea. So so one of the other possibilities, just to back up a second, is just a straight up ban on TikTok. I mean, try to do again what Trump tried to do, but maybe do a better job justifying it this time, you know, send it through the right processes. Have actual um, lawyers work on the, yeah, on yeah, the exactly. proposals. Yeah. So that's an option that some that some people support. But then the Restrict Act is a, is something that tries to bring a little more coherence or consistency because obviously TikTok is not the only Chinese app that's popular in the United States. I mean, I was on the iOS app store the other day and four of the top five apps were Chinese owned. You had TikTok, you had CapCut, which is a, a basically a tool for TikTok users yep. that's also made by ByteDance. You ha- and then you had the, uh, the shopping app Timu, which is owned by a Chinese company, Pinduoduo, which actually it's coming out now. I mean, Pinduoduo has been doing shadier, way shadier stuff than than uh, ByteDance with its um, shopping app for Chinese users. There, there are all these weird permissions built into that that app in China. So anyway, the idea. Oh, and then, and, and then yeah. Xi'an is, I think, one of the other top five. Uh, yes, right? that's the, right. Yeah, the, Xi'an. And they the shopping they ones. They're not Chinese, I think, but but they're absolutely yeah. Chinese, right? We've talked about them before, and they're they're amazing in many ways. But you know, it's it's you know, just imagine sort of a a hyper speed AI powered Amazon, except it's Chinese and and everyone's buying fast fashion from them. Kind of yeah, I mean, again, you know, for people who aren't familiar with these, it might sound like random or obscure, but they're not. These are two of the most popular apps in the U.S. right now. And so the idea behind the Restrict Act is instead of just trying to ban TikTok, which, you know, we know courts are going to suspect is kind of arbitrary, we're going to empower the Secretary of Commerce to review any U.S. companies doing business with certain types of companies that are owned by foreign adversaries. And then it names a handful of foreign adversaries. It kind of feels like, you know, how like a, a backronym is when you start with the, you start with the acronym and you work backwards to what it stands mm-hmm. for. It kind of feels like the backronym of laws. I mean, they really just want to ban TikTok, but they're, they're kind of backing into, well, what's a way we can do this, you know, kind of more broadly and have we it. We can say this is not TikTok. a TikTok ban. This is a protect America ban. And oh, as a result, we're banning TikTok, but that's because exactly. we passed this law that allows us to do that. Exactly. And the law doesn't even mention, as far as I know, at least the initial text didn't even mention TikTok. So, so right, not a TikTok ban, but it would happen, just, just happen to ban TikTok. The other countries that are, that, that are in the initial text, I think, are Cuba, Iran, Russia, and the Maduro regime in Venezuela. And so, you know, then all apps that are like, that have a bunch of personal data on the U.S. or apps that are sort of critical infrastructure in some, or not apps, but, you know, companies that make critical infrastructure, um, they would get special review and the Secretary of Commerce would then be empowered to ban them or take other actions. 
So TikTok says there's 150 million user, American users of its app. Um, I don't believe that number. It means one out of every two people in America. It does seem is, like a lot. Is, you, it? is downloaded it and is using it once a month. And if you're around a lot of young people, they're all using TikTok. But you just have to sort of extrapolate that, and it doesn't work. But it's very popular. And for that reason, I've assumed for a long time that that none of this is ever going to happen because. Cynically, there's just a lot of advantage in coming out and complaining about TikTok and complaining about China and rattling your saber. And no one actually wants to be the one responsible for removing one of the most popular apps in, in the world, um, particularly with younger people who everyone would theoretically like to become voters. And so my, my assumption is we'll keep getting kicked down the road and nothing will actually happen. But but you tell me, what, what if you had to handicap this, what are the odds that, that TikTok is restrained in some meaningful way in the coming years? I don't want to handicap it because, you know, often I think often, you know, with questions like this, if you're a tech reporter, if you're covering this stuff day in, day out, you really have a sense of where it's headed. And yeah, you know, it could, you know, in theory go a different way, but you really know where it's going. I do not know where this is going. I, I don't know. And I don't think that I don't think most of the people involved know. I mean, it's 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 a live struggle and the ball's up in the air. And I think that, you know, there, there's a sense in which TikTok is all, has already been hurt by this. I mean, a year ago, nobody outside of some diehard Trump supporters and China hawks even you know was really paying attention to the fact that TikTok is is Chinese owned. It wasn't part of the mainstream conversation. I would bet the majority of users didn't know it. I think we're probably getting to the point where the majority of users do know that it's Chinese owned, and that's a big difference. And so already there's an opening there, and I, I assume we're going to get to this, but there are American competitors waiting in the wings, you know, who have been building their TikTok clones for for you know just in case because this is the hottest social media app in the world. It's the fastest growing. It's the only one that's you know really meaningfully growing. It's eating the lunch of the American tech giants, and they would love to see it meaningly, meaningfully restrained in some way. And they're lobbying hard for that. Yeah, I mean, Facebook slash Meta is a particularly interesting one because they really helped launch uh, TikTok. They took a billion dollars in advertising to to promote TikTok to their users, and it worked really well. There is also cynically but accurately a. Uh, 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 a benefit to Meta to having TikTok be successful in America. They can say, how can we possibly be an antitrust uh, target here when we've got TikTok here? It's eating our lunch. Um, it's kind of convenient for them to be around. I did want to talk to you about, um, I called it whataboutism, and that's not fair to say about your column, but this idea that we're, you're pointing out that saying, hey, all these things you're complaining about TikTok are accurate or, or plausible, but we also know they're, 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 we can make the same arguments about lots of U.S. companies and lots of concerns. You did hear some of that brought up in the hearing, I think, a little bit. Is there any chance that any of this sort of boomerangs and people say, well, while we're looking at TikTok, let's take renewed scrutiny at Google, Facebook, et cetera? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think, as you said, we saw some of that in the hearing where, especially on the on the Democratic side, but some on the Republican side, members were saying, this just reinforces the need for privacy legislation. I, I, I see the argument that it's whataboutism. You know, TikTok is not the same as, as Facebook. Um, the Chinese government is not the same as the U.S. government. They both, you know, they, they both do seek, um, sometimes by shady means, uh, to surveil people, um, but they're not the same. And, they, and, and so uh, let's stipulate that. With that said, the fact that there is no modern 
comprehensive online privacy law in the United States at the federal level means that our data is just, I mean, it's out there. It's for sale. Like every app we use, not everyone, but most of the apps we use are collecting all sorts of data that we're not paying attention to, that we're not aware of, that could be used to stalk us or to, you know, to try to tie us to a crime scene or any number of things. And this is just for sale in the open market. And so as long as there are data brokers out there selling Americans location data or behavioral data or web browsing habits, China could just buy that stuff. So like, what's the, I mean, that's, that's my point. It's not that they're the same. And it's not that we shouldn't give heightened scrutiny to companies that are Chinese owned, given what we know about the Chinese government and its laws. But it's like, what does that accomplish unless you're also going to close down some of the other ways that, that China or any foreign adversary could obtain data on us? TikTok is unique. It is the first mega popular social internet software owned and operated by a non-American company, really, at least a, 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 a mega popular one in America, not not run by an American company. I'm sure we can fact check and find a couple, you know, well, we can we can say it's the only one that to achieve this scale because I mean yes. it's really it's it's been rarefied air in terms of just how massive it is. And one thought I have is, wow, this 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 should give us a little bit of pause and and consider what the world looks like if you're not in America, and you have complaints about Facebook or Google or Twitter, and your countries don't seem to have any sort of ability to rein them in, and you sort of have to live with what American tech has brought you. But I'm wondering, is anyone thinking about sort of if we're going to see another version of this one day and how we're going to handle sort of uh, the possibility of other stuff coming to American shores that has enormous power and influence, does isn't under direct control. We can't haul them up in front of Congress. We can't we can't legislate against them directly. Is anyone processing that or are we just sort of saying this is this is what we're dealing with right now? That's a great question. I have not heard a lot of people talking about that. I mean, you know, in the long run, if if you think that we're moving to an era where the United States doesn't just get to decide everything for everybody all the time, this is not going to be the last. I think I think you're right about that. I mean, I think that's a that's a great point. And so this is probably you know an early skirmish maybe in in a, a longer term struggle over what the United States does about the fact that it that it isn't going to run everything in terms of the 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 tech world specifically, but also more broadly. Speaking of popular, potentially popular, potentially powerful, potentially scary technology, you're writing a lot about AI. Uh, I'm fascinated with it. We're going to spend a lot of time on, on this show in the near future. You've been covering a lot of it, but I did want to ask you about one particular story you wrote um, the last couple of days. It is about uh, ChatGPT, the the search, I don't know, what do you call it? The software run by OpenAI, which has falsely accused a uh law professor of sexual harassment. Can, can you walk us through the details of that story and then tell us what's going to happen next? Yeah, that's kind of a wild story. So a guy named Eugene Volok, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, he's, he's a pretty well-known lawyer. He, he blogs at a site called The Volok Conspiracy, sort of libertarian-leaning. Le- he, he was doing some research, and he's using ChatGPT, and, and he asks it, 
you know, is sexual harassment a problem? And sorry, I'm not going to get the exact prompt right, but is sexual harassment a problem in American law schools? And, you know, and if so, cite five examples of sexual harassment scandals involving law professors and cite your sources, you know, give me real newspaper articles to back it up. And so ChatGPT spits out, you know, yes, this is a problem. It spits out five examples and gives names. It gives newspaper articles as citations. It even gives, you know, it, it gives dates, everything. And it turns out that some of them are real and then others are completely fabricated. The, the incidents described didn't exist. The person was never accused. And they even, ChatGPT even invented newspaper articles to back it up. So one of the guys that named was this well-known constitutional lawyer, Jonathan Turley. He's a sometimes Fox News commentator at George Washington University. And it says, uh, in 2018, Jonathan Turley, a Georgetown professor, which is not quite right, it's George Washington, but a Georgetown professor was accused of, of trying to touch a student and making sexual advances on a class trip to Alaska. And here's a Washington Post article about it. The Washington Post article doesn't exist. It, it's all made up. And so the, uh, Turley finds out about it from, from Volokh and writes an op-ed about it in USA Today saying, ChatGPT accused me of sexual harassment. All right, this is, this is alarming. Nobody wants to get accused of a crime by an AI, particularly a crime that carries such a, a, a stigma. Um, maybe it's not, I don't know if it's a crime. It's a, you know, it's a, obviously... You don't want to be accused of sexual harassment. Nobody wants to be accused of sexual harassment. And, and, so, and yet, there, there's something weird about it because like, if, a, if the Washington Post had accused him of sexual harassment, that would mean everybody who reads the Washington Post sees that story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he can complain about it to the Washington Post and, you know, try to get a correction and sue the Washington Post. All right, what happens when it was just one guy putting in one prompt on ChatGPT and getting that as a response? It's, it's, it's different in so many ways. And it's just this, this kind of like novel problem that these chatbots based on large language models raise. I mean, the other problem is, and and no one, I don't think, I think your article said there might be a libel suit coming in a, in a different case, but no one has sort of taken on the engines and said, you have accused me of something falsely. If if the Washington Post wrote that story and it was flat out wrong, you'd, I don't know that you'd win a libel case necessarily, but you'd have a very strong start for one and you'd know who to blame. In this case, you know, when you guys asked uh, OpenAI, the company behind Chat GPT, they said, well, you know, we're, we're working on this stuff and it's good for us to get wrong answers because we improve. This is also the standard um, argument you hear from Microsoft when when their version when their OpenAI version of of Bing tells Kevin Roos from the New York Times that he should leave his wife and say oh thank you for pointing out this problem we're, we're working on it um, there is a I think partially a genuine engineering mindset that says tech needs to get better the first things will not be nearly as good as the things down the road there's no way you're not going to have mistakes it's just how technology works we've got to you got to live with that there's another version which says we have to sort of have a legalese version of this argument but they both come to the same thing which is chill out it's going to get better do you think that's going to be an acceptable response because I, I assume we'll see more and more of these stories as this stuff gets used more and more i guess the other argument could be well, this stuff will get better and better and we'll have fewer errors but it seems like there will be many of these horror stories coming down the pike. And I think most people who are just starting to sort of hear about AI haven't really contemplated this. I think most of them, if they're contemplating it, imagine that AI is going to be super powerful and super accurate and maybe used by kids to cheat on homework or used to displace people from work. Not that it's actually going to be flat out wrong so much of the time. Yeah, we're all of a sudden we're back in the era of move fast and break things, right? I mean, we saw this with, with social media, 
ride hailing apps, big data, when there's a new when there's a, a new wave of innovation and a new tech that has a lot of promise, all the incentives are for companies to race to to build it as fast as they can and then ask, you know, ask forgiveness later. And that's exactly what we're seeing. I mean, there were companies, it can seem like the the AI chatbots came out of nowhere if you weren't paying attention for years and years, but they were being built behind closed doors at big companies like Google and Facebook. And those companies had these big AI ethics teams that were saying, we can't release this to the public. It's too flawed. It's going to mislead people. It gets stuff wrong. All the stuff that we're in fact seeing now. And so they kept it. They just kept testing it in labs. OpenAI comes along and says, well, hey, it would be a lot more efficient if we're trying to figure out what can go wrong here and fix it. Let's just put it out to the public, call it an experiment, and let let everybody find the flaws, and then we'll fix them one by one. And there is a sense in which, you know, if you're trying to optimize for building a better AI system, putting it out there and letting the whole world play with it gets you there faster. It also breaks a lot of stuff along the way, you know? And so that's that's what we're seeing. And because OpenAI had such amazing success doing that with ChatGPT, it really forced the hand of all the others. And so now all the big tech companies are like, oh crap, we got to release this stuff to the public. And and so there's there really is a race now with Bing and Bard and Meta's coming out with something. Yeah, it wasn't just the ethicists within within Facebook and Google saying, hey, we got to be slow on this, right? It's at the very top of the company, the people that are being very aware that they are facing antitrust suits, that they are under enormous political scrutiny. And for them to come out and and with a, a, a half-working product that is going to falsely accuse people of whatever, um, I think they were fully they, – they were very aware of the risk of doing that. And it has taken open AI, not encumbered by that stuff, working with Microsoft who fought the U.S. government for years, but seems to have sort of emerged as the has successfully positioned itself as the the big tech company you don't have to worry about. Yes, that was not accidental. That was a very deliberate strategy. They they went ahead and did this, um, and and there was a lot of internal frustration at Meta and and Google saying, "Oh, I wish we could have done that, but we can, we can no longer move fast and break things." I'm going to write a lot more about this. I'm going to have you on, and you're going to write a lot more about this. So let's let's continue that conversation down the road. Will Remus from the Washington Post, thank you for joining us. Peter, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks again to Will. Thanks again to Chef. Still amused by that. Uh, thanks to Jelani and Travis for producing and editing. Thanks to our sponsors who bring us this show for free. We love sponsors. Sponsors make the world go round. We love you guys, too. We, again, have something very cool for you regarding AI uh, starting next week. We'll see you then. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.